if you would be opening your Bibles to Acts, uh, the book of Acts. Uh, got a little surprise. It says Acts 10 through 15. We're just going to look at Acts 15. So I know you're relieved by that. And so not five chapters, just one, but we'll pull in some of what goes on in chapter 10 as well as we walk through this uh, really maybe one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts because in this chapter what we're going to see is that God or that the church has to define what is the gospel what is a Christian what does it look like to actually follow Christ and so let me pray for us and we're just going to jump into this passage this morning God I pray God that we would truly have you as our only God Lord, that we would do just as we just sang, that we would bow before you and you alone. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be honored and, and God, that you would be uh, glorified in the way that we live, in the way that uh, we uh, apply your word today. God, I pray that you would help me to preach your word. God, that you would help me to focus on your word and, and uh, be able to speak uh, your word clearly, and that your people would be able to understand your word. And God, that you would just give power to us to be able to hear from you and be changed by you this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so basically the question that is before us this morning that we're going to be talking about is Jesus plus what equals salvation? This is the question that we come to in Acts chapter 15. Basically that the early church is in a, a crisis mode. They're at a turning point. They're at a place where they have to make a choice on exactly what it means to be a Christian. They, that what they've had happen is, is there's all these people who have come into the church who are different. They're different in many different ways. They, they talk different. They dress different. They eat different. They sing different. They're just different. And so the church has to answer the question, well, how much do they have to look like us in order for us to consider them a Christian? How does someone go from being a non-Christian to a Christian? Or as I said, Jesus plus what equals salvation? What do you have to add to Jesus to become a Christian all the way? I think you know the answer to that, but we're going to unpack it together. And so Acts chapter 15, verse 1. <clears throat> but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses... You cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no, no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. In verse 4, he says, When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Verse 5 says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so I, I need to back up just a little bit to fill in the gap um, so that you understand how they got to this point. So remember, uh, up until like... Acts chapter 10, most of the church, the, the established church in, in Jerusalem is all Jews. They've always been Jews. They've, that, that's their, their culture. That's their, their way of life. 
Well, in Acts chapter 10, God goes to Peter. He gives Peter a vision, a a dream about uh, all these different unclean animals. And he tells Peter, rise up and eat. Eat Eat some of the unclean animals. And Peter's response is, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I've cleansed, what I've made clean. And what, what God is telling Peter is that I have decided, or you are to go out and you are to reach out to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. In fact, there's a specific man you're going to go reach out to. His name's Cornelius. He's had a vision about you coming. You're going to go and you're going to share the gospel with him. And so Peter goes and he shares the gospel with these Gentiles. And they become believers. They become Christians. In fact, God fills them with the Holy Spirit in the same way he filled the apostles uh, on the day of Pentecost. And so the church begins to reach out to Gentiles. And so it begins to take place that more and more non-Jews are becoming a part of the church. And then Barnabas hears about what's going on. He hears about people becoming believers. And he goes and he gets Saul, who from now on we'll talk about as being Paul. Remember Paul we talked about last week. He he was Saul. He hated Christ. He hated the idea of non-Jews becoming a part of God's people. He, He thought that was heresy. Well, God saves him, he meets him, he changes him, and Paul becomes a missionary uh, to the Gentiles. And so Barnabas and uh, Paul go down and they begin to share the gospel with all these Gentiles, and all these people become believers, all these Christians uh, begin begin to join the church, begin to be part of God's people. And so they, they go to Antioch and they go all these different places, they begin to share the gospel, and all of these people are becoming Christians. It's amazing, everyone's excited, everyone's Uh, just absolutely thrilled that God's word is spreading the way that it does, the way that it is. And then right in the middle of it, right as people are becoming believers, these people called the Pharisees show up. Okay, y'all having a good time? Yeah, it looks like it. Stop it. (laughs) I mean, no, you're doing it all wrong. You can't just let anyone into the church. They have to obey our rules. They have to go by our standards. If they're going to be Christians, they have to be circumcised. Right then, the new members class drops significantly on the guy side of things, right? <laughs> but they, they, they force the issue to what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus plus what equals salvation? Can you be a Christian without being circumcised? This is a, a le- legitimate question they are asking. And we, we need to understand where they're, they're coming from. Before I go on, because I... I tend to get a little too harsh, I think, sometimes with the Pharisees, but we need to understand where they're coming from. Pretend for a minute that you didn't know that answer. Jesus plus what equals salvation? Remember who these people are. These aren't the Pharisees who reject Jesus. These are the Jewish people who have believed on Jesus. You see, they've accepted Jesus as their Messiah, as their Lord, and as their Savior. But they were raised differently. They were raised to keep the law of Moses. They liked the rules that God had given them through Moses. I mean, these aren't just random traditions. No, this is actually the way they'd been taught and the way they'd been raised to be good Jewish people. And so when they start talking about circumcision, this is really important to them. This goes all the way back to Abraham. This was the sign that God gave to Abraham that he was going to make out of him a people to bless the whole world. Now, I don't know why God chose circumcision i really don't but that's what he chose and and then on top of that you know he told them not to eat certain animals and there were certain rituals for washing they had over 600 different laws that they were to keep which is what separated them from the world around them which made them unique i mean everything they did their entire identity 
revolves around the law and around the traditions coming out of the law. I mean, this is who they are. It's not just what they do. It's who they are. I mean, their traditions and their culture have gone on for thousands of years. I mean, we, we need to allow that to sink in a little bit before we get too hard on them. I, I mean, you think about how hard it is for us to change our traditions. And they're really new compared to thousands of years, right? Most of our traditions are like a little over 100 years. I, if that, I mean, you, you think about, you know, the, the one thing that everybody talks about, music and church. You, you realize that not around 100 years ago, the piano was looked at as the devil instrument? Like, don't be using that piano in church. And before that, it was, you know, the, the organ. And before that, they had a debate over whether or not they should sing any songs now found in the Psalms. Like, legitimate arguments over if it was okay to sing songs that weren't in the book of Psalms. Because if they're not scripture, we can't sing them in church. And before that, they debated whether they should sing at all. I mean, you don't want people coming to church just to be entertained. Like, these are the arguments that they had. And we're just talking three or 400 years. And it's hard for us to change those things. It's hard for us to, to let go of our traditions. We, we have opinions on all sorts of things that change. I do. I know, like, I, I don't understand clothing today. I don't understand why everybody wears workout clothes wherever they go. Like, you're not going to the gym. Why? I'm like... Wait, were you, you know what I mean? Like, that just doesn't make sense. I, they say it's because they're comfortable. But, but I, I mean, I, I, I don't understand the way that things change, but they do. They change quickly. I have a hard time letting things go. But so if we, we think we have a hard time letting go of our traditions and our culture, uh, imagine if they came from the Bible and our people had been following them for thousands of years. It'd be hard, right? I mean, change is hard for anyone doesn't matter if you're older or younger. doesn't matter who you are. We as people just don't like change. I'm still upset with Kroger. I used to do a lot of shopping with, at Kroger, going grocery shopping and stuff. We try to do click lists more often now, but the kids, they, they eat a lot of Pop-Tarts. They eat a lot of Pop-Tarts because we want them to have a healthy breakfast, right? Not, <laughs> but it feels healthier. It's a Pop-Tart, right? It's not a piece of chocolate cake even though it's probably the same but but it, Kroger went in and they moved all their stuff around now the pop-tarts aren't on the breakfast aisle anymore they're not next to the cereal it doesn't make sense like I got upset at Kroger for moving where I like to go get my pop-tarts from my kids pop-tarts my, my point is change is hard change is painful but change is also necessary it's part of life it happens whether we want it to or not Peter for example when I mentioned back in chapter 10 that God had come to him and said, don't call unclean what I call clean. Don't go and eat this. He said, go and eat this food. You know what Peter's response to God is? No. That's not how I was raised. Like Peter says this to God. Like, I mean, think about that for a minute. Think about how hard it is for us to change. And that's what these Jewish Christians are experiencing. All of a sudden they have people who look completely different than them who eat different food than they do, who dress differently, who talk differently, who have all kinds of weird customs that they are not comfortable with. And to top it all off, the final straw is they're not even circumcised. The sign of God's people, the seal of God's promise to Abraham to make them a special people, to set them apart. And so when you think about that, you realize just you know, how much is going on in the church here. Like they are really struggling through what does it look like to be a Christian? Do these people need to be circumcised in order to be saved? Do they need to keep the law of Moses in order to be called Christians? 
They were saying Jesus plus circumcision or law or works equals salvation. They were saying Jesus plus this over here is how you are a Christian. And so instead of just dismissing the issue, they had a meeting. The leadership of the church got together. In verse 6, it says here, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. <clears throat> and so they, they got together to discuss it, to go over it. You can just picture the, the different debates going back and forth over whether or not these people should be allowed into the church. And if they are, do they have to be circumcised? Can they eat cheeseburgers and still be a part of the fellowship? Like, can we have ribs at the, the fellowships, at the potlucks? And so these sort of things are going through. Like, what does this look like? And so in the middle of all of this, in verse 7, <clears throat> we, we read Peter's response. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so Peter's like, listen, I know what y'all are going through. It took God himself to change my mind on this subject. But God did change my mind on this subject because he made it clear that I was to tell the Gentiles the gospel. And then verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. You notice what, he, what Peter's saying here. You can't judge by what you see. Just because they look different than us doesn't mean they're not believers. doesn't mean God doesn't love them. He sees their heart. You, you think about what God says about David when Samuel's trying to reject David as king. And he's, you know, Samuel's like, this, or reject David as king. He's like, this, this can't be the guy. And God's response is, you look at the outside, I look at the heart. I know what's actually in people. He knows what's actually in us. And so he says, listen, God knows their heart. He knows whether or not they're believers. And so he's given them the Holy Spirit just as he gave to us. And then in verse 9, he says, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. And so this whole debate is going on, and, and Jesus, uh, Peter stands up, and this is what he says. He says, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Like, Peter believes that to be a Christian, a Christ follower, you do not need the law. Uh, you, uh, you don't need circumcision. You need Jesus. And so he makes this argument from a couple of different ways. The first one is found here in 7 through 9 that I just read through. He uses his own personal experience. He, he points us back to his first experience of God showing this. But then he also shows that Jesus saves these people. He cleanses these people through faith. Look at, look at verse 9 again. It says, And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. In other words, very clearly, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Faith is what matters. He says he, God makes no distinction. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's a, the people of God who have come to faith through Christ. What he's telling us here is that clean hearts come by faith, not works. God requires faith, not work. He requires us to trust in, in Christ. He, he requires us to ask Christ to save us. I mean, we get this, right? We sing songs about this, just as I am. Rock of, rock of ages. I was thinking about that song this morning. I, uh, you know, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross, cross I cling. Or in Christ alone, my hope is found to go more modern. 
I, re- I realized how much I love old hymns as I was going through this. I was like, man, I need to find some, some newer songs. But, but he, as, he was, as he was talking, he was telling them, guys, they are saved through faith. They are not saved through anything that they do. What, what we see here is that God doesn't say, change this, this, and that, and then you'll be a Christian. No, he says, trust on Jesus, believe on his sacrifice, and you'll be clean. He doesn't tell us, uh, you know, what, he doesn't say, go and do some stuff, clean yourself up, and then you can become a Christian. No, he cleans us up. He doesn't say, become a Christian, then get a haircut and tuck in your shirt and, you know, do all these different things, and then God will love you. No, he says, trust on Christ, and you'll be clean. Now, you know, it's not that anything wrong with tucking in your shirt or anything like that, but but he doesn't say, go and be good old southern boys. He says, go and trust on Christ. Now, do I love being good old southern boy? Absolutely. That's because I love my culture, just like everybody else. But that has nothing to do with being a Christian. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're trying to figure out how you can be forgiven. There's no more clear point than this right here. You're made clean, not through any work of your own. You're made clean when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Any attempt on your part to be good enough isn't going to work out for you. Look at, look at verse 10. Peter continues his argument here. He says, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? Where's the last time we heard that? We heard that when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, that you shall not test the Lord your God. And so he says, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And here's the truth, guys. Attempting to keep the law is always going to lead to failure. Peter Peter is like, guys, why in the world would we try to make these poor Gentiles who are coming to faith obey the laws we couldn't get right? You know, Peter is pointing out here the history lesson. Like, if you want to sum up the Old Testament... And I could sum it up pretty quickly for you. The Old Testament is basically this. God creates people. He loves people. He gives them everything that they need. They mess up. He promises to save them. He promises to redeem them. And then you, then you move on. You have Abraham where God calls Abraham and says, you're going to be a, a special people. Out of you is going to come a special people. Abraham messes up. His sons mess up. Eventually, Israel is born. Uh, Jacob has his 12 sons. They, they end up in Egypt. God rescues them out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt. You know what they do? They mess up. They mess up some more. They mess up a lot more. God punishes them to get their attention. They repent. They turn back to him. Then they mess up some more. He rescues them again. They mess up some more. And, and it just goes on and on and on. If you read through the Old Testament... Over every single time, people blow it. They're not able to keep God's law. They're not able to be faithful. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, why would we try to convince these people to do what we can't do? People are never going to be good enough on their own. They're, if our hope is in how good we can be, we're never going to make it. Guys, we need someone to pay our price. We need someone to pay our penalty. And that someone is Jesus. He doesn't just pay our penalty. He gives us a new heart. So Peter's like, why would we want to put a weight on their shoulders we cannot bear? Jesus has borne that weight for us. Remember what he said in Matthew when he said, come to me, all you who are weak and uh, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did he mean? He meant you don't have to try to be good enough anymore. You can't earn it. 
can only receive it. You can you cannot earn your salvation. You can only receive your salvation through Christ. And then this last verse here, verse 11. <clears throat> but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You notice what he's saying here. Grace is our only hope. The same hope that the Jews have is the same hope the Gentiles have. The grace of Jesus. You can't deserve it. Like, you can't get good enough to deserve salvation. You can only receive it. Salvation takes place without our assistance. We're never going to earn a right standing before God. That only comes through Christ. And so this morning, if you're trying to add to Jesus to get salvation, you're going to miss it. It's, by, it's through faith by grace alone. That's it. If there were another way, then Jesus would not have gone to the cross. You don't believe me? Read through the book of Galatians. Paul says things like, if, if we could be saved through the law, if we, could be, if we could be redeemed through what we do, then Jesus would not have went to the cross. In chapter 3 of Galatians, he, he writes to them and he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you guys under a spell? You who came to faith, uh, who were saved by faith, by grace, are you now going to be made perfect by the law? In other words, even after you become a Christian, you don't all of a sudden start earning it. No, you always have to rely on his grace. You always have to rely on, on his uh, forgiveness uh, for you. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, after hearing what Peter said, after hearing what Paul and Barnabas said, he stands up and he addresses the church who are debating this issue. He agrees that God is making a people, not just from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. You can uh, read that later in verses 13 through 18. I want to skip down to verse 19, just for time's sake. He says, he says this, after he quotes some scripture and talks about how God's making a people and he's fulfilling his promise. In verse 19, he says, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So what's he saying? He's saying that the church should not put up unnecessary walls between those who need Jesus and Jesus. In other words, don't make it hard for people to believe in Jesus. Like, it's scary enough for non-Christians to come to church, isn't it? I mean, you already know you're not right. You're already aware of your failures. You're already aware of, of all the things going on in your life. And you've heard how judgmental Christians can be. And you've, you've heard how people are going to stare at you and all, all those different things. And that's not even including the, the social pressure of filling out a place because you don't know anybody. That, that, that would probably be something that I would struggle with more than anything, just not knowing anybody. Y'all, any of you dads ever take one of your kids to a birthday party? Maybe I'm the only one who struggles with that, but I always feel so out of place. Like, it's, you know, 95% women who know each other, and so they're up there talking, and then there's me. I'm like... I'm going to find a corner somewhere. I'm going to go hide. Maybe nobody will notice me. I got always fill out a place. I'm like, I do not belong here. I stick out. Maybe, you, maybe you're more socially able to handle that situation than I am. But it just always makes me feel weird. But, but anyway, that, that, it, when you walk in somewhere and you don't know anyone and you fill out a place, you already are going to struggle. Because you're not a part of a group. You're, you don't know who you should talk to or who you shouldn't talk to. Or, and besides the fact of whether or not people actually come up and talk to you. So we need to make sure that we do everything that we can to make people feel comfortable, to feel welcome. And I, I know we do that. I'm, I'm not saying that we don't do that because we have so many people here who go out of their way to encourage and to invite and, and, and to make people feel welcome, make them feel like they, they belong here, to make them not feel awkward. But 
while we're on the topic, we do have a greeters and security team meeting next week after worship service if, if you're interested. I, I mean, I'm not saying that you don't want people to be saved and you don't love Jesus if you don't come, but, you know, there's opportunity there for you if, you, if you're able. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, but anyway, uh, <laughs> James is making the statement here that we need to hear. He's saying that the church should intentionally tear down every unnecessary wall between the gospel and the lost. We should not make it hard for people to hear about Jesus. We should not make it hard for people to come to Christ. We should do all that we can to not put stumbling blocks between people and coming to Jesus. That means not adding to the gospel. It means not adding to God's word. That means not adding our preferences to how we think people ought to be. That means doing all that we can to encourage people and, and, and do all that we can to reach out to people and make them feel welcome, make them understand that we want them here. And so he, he breaks down what he expects uh, out of these Gentiles in verse 20. Because sometimes we think that, you know, we, we ought to change no matter what and that we shouldn't cons consider other people's feelings, but that's not necessarily the case. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, that may be a little confusing. So it's James saying, as long as you don't eat stuff, uh, or you don't do stuff with idols, you don't uh, have sexual immorality, and you don't eat anything that's strangled, or eat something with blood in it, then you're good? Like, is he setting up a new moral code? That's, that's not what's going on here. I'm pretty sure murder is still off the table, no matter how bad of a driver the other person is. Like, it's not okay. There's so many, got, James is not saying you can just go off and, and take out the moral code. That's not what he means. The things that he is writing about here are the things that these Gentiles did when they worshiped. These are ceremonial things that were extremely offensive to the Jewish people. Basically, what he's saying is be sensitive. Sensitivity is necessary towards traditions. It's necessary as we, as we talk about change, we talk about doing things differently, and as we talk about you know, reaching people with the gospel, we must be sensitive to culture. We must be sensitive to tradition and make sure we don't unnecessarily offend people and hurt people's feelings just by not paying attention. And I, this is hard. I mean, this is one of those things that I definitely can learn from. I, I know I struggle with sensitivity. I know I do. You can ask my wife, my poor, poor wife. I struggle with sensitivity on a regular basis. I'm like, I don't understand why this matters, but it does. I'm learning. But, but we, we, should, we should never become a people that simply toss away the traditions of the past without thinking carefully through why they're there and also who's going to be hurt by them being removed. That doesn't mean we never change. It doesn't mean that we never adapt, but it does mean that we are careful and we take the greatest care possible. All of that to say, the bottom line is this, as James lays out what the church and how the church should respond, that Jesus is the only way we're, we can be saved. The bottom line is this, making disciples is the reason we exist. Everything else is negotiable. Everything outside of God's word, everything outside the mission that God has given us is extra. The, the mission of getting the gospel to the lost takes priority. It takes priority over our preferences. It takes priority over our relationships. It takes priority over everything else. Jesus didn't tell us to go and make everyone happy. He told us to go and make disciples. We, we can't sit back and, and say, boy, I wish we could reach more people. 
on one hand, but then on the other hand say, but I don't want to be uncomfortable. As churches and Christians, we constantly drift away from our purpose. You'll ever have a, a car, you know, where if you take your hands off the wheel, it veers off into the ditch. I don't recommend driving without your hands on the wheel. It's not my point. But, you know, I'm talking about something that's out of line and you, it just is going to pull to the right-hand side of the road like, like it's going out of style. Well, that's, that's what happens to us. We drift away from our purpose. We drift away from what God has called us to, which is to reach out to those around us. What ends up happening, though, is we reach out to those around us and people become believers as we begin to reach out to those we've reached out to. And we become more focused on making church members happy and comfortable than concerned with reaching those who don't have the gospel, who don't have a relationship with Christ. Because we, we end up being want, wanting to be made much of. And we want things to be about us and what we want. And if we're not careful, we'll make huge issues out of things that have nothing to do with reaching anyone for the gospel and have everything to do with getting what we want and making ourselves comfortable. We have to be careful because what ends up happening is we refuse to serve anywhere that isn't our sweet spot that we really enjoy. We don't support events and programs that don't benefit us directly. We complain about anything that isn't exactly how we want it. And when we could go, list, go on and on and on. We have to be careful about this. We need to ask the Lord this morning to give us the grace we need for each other. To let go of our preferences for the sake of the gospel. Let's ask him to give us boldness to stand uh, against the world around us that wants us to water down the gospel, that wants us to water down the message of Jesus Christ, and, and to put aside all things that don't help us reach those who don't have Christ. So, sometimes I, I think we care more about having things our way than we do about reaching the next generation. Now, we never say that out loud, but when we refuse to adapt and do things to reach them, or refuse to serve in the programs needed to help disciple them, what are we saying? I'd rather have my me time than see young people come to Christ. This is a problem for all generations. It's not a problem for any one generation. Younger people, older people, it doesn't matter. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with wanting things our way. Why? Because we're human. But if we're going to be faithful to the mission we have to be witnesses of Jesus to all the world and reach people with the gospel— we have to listen to what James says here. Don't make it hard for lost people to become saved people. And that's only going to happen when we are more passionate about our purpose to reach people than our preferences. And so as, as we come to an end this morning, I want to ask you, which are you more passionate about? Are you, are you more passionate about what you want? Or are you more passionate about seeing people come to Christ? We need to ask ourselves as a church, do we put more emphasis on keeping church members happy? Or keeping God happy as we do his, as we fulfill his purpose for us. So we, we, have, we have this wonderful news. We have the most wonderful news. People don't have to go to hell. They can go to heaven. They don't have to live on in misery and bitterness and defeat. They can have victory in Jesus. The gospel has the power to save all who believe in Christ. But if we do not do all that we can to reach the lost with the news that they can be saved, it does them no good. I pray that God would remind us this morning that hell is hot and all those people who don't have Christ are headed there and that, we would, that he would break our hearts for them to the point that we get over ourselves and do what it takes to reach them. If you do not know Jesus this morning, I want to make it very simple for you. You can know him. You can have his forgiveness. You, you can have his grace. You can have a relationship with him if you put your faith in him.
That means admitting you're unable to change. Admitting you have sinned against God and asking the Lord Jesus to save you. And then following him, trusting him enough to follow his leadership. Having faith in him is more than simply saying, God, I want you to save me. It's saying, I trust you enough, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to allow you to direct my life. It means receiving him as your Lord and your King. If you've never trusted on him this morning, would you put your faith in him? If you have trusted on him, would you ask him to show you in your heart and in your life where you're saying, I, I care more about me than other, people's coming to know, other people coming to know him? And ask him to forgive you of that and give you the grace to move past that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we have this time of commitment and response to you, Lord, that we would truly respond to you, God, that we would uh, allow you to change our hearts and our lives, Lord, open up our hearts to hear from you. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be clear in our hearts and in our lives and on our, on our lips this morning. And God, that you would, that you would truly break our hearts for those who don't know you. And God, that we would be driven by a passion that they would come to know you. Lord, forgive us for our apathy when it comes to sharing the gospel. God, we need your grace. We, we, we need your mercy in this, Lord. We need you to strengthen us. We need you to give us the boldness. We, we, we are weak. We confess that. God, we need your help. And God, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see how amazing and wonderful you are and that we would be uh, just excited to share you this week. And for all those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would bring them to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand, and as you stand, we're going to sing. If God is working in your heart this morning, would you come?